good morning. I have, uh, have really been able to uh, dig in quite a bit in this text we've been reading uh, through Genesis with a little bit of Job the other week. And uh, one of the things that I was uh, blown away as I started reading through what I was preparing this morning for was just a lot of the a lot of the things that you and I probably don't piece together until we've read it all in one context. Uh, we, we're, we were talking earlier, uh, me, me and Doug, how we some, so many times separate stories when they really are people that are connected to one another. You know, and one of the, one of the things that's fascinating is seeing um, how God worked through multiple generations and how um, you see common occurrences for each each of the patriarchs, if you will. They did certain things right the same way, and they did certain things wrong the same way. Um, and just a lot of learning lessons for us. But this morning, as we, we begin, I want to ask a question. I want to ask a question of every one of us. Uh, have you ever been caught doing something you shouldn't have done? Anybody ever get been caught doing something they shouldn't have done? I think every one of us, right? Ever since we were a child, there been a, there's been a moment we've been caught Doing something. So my question is, what, what was the what was the reaction from us? Have you ever, parents? Maybe this has never happened to you. Have you ever caught your child doing something they shouldn't, and their first response is to blatantly lie to you, and you know, like, are you kidding? Like, I have the facts. I just caught you right now, and you're gonna you're gonna try this. You're gonna try this. Like, I literally just caught you doing this. I remember as a little boy. My mother uh, specifically told me that I can only have one Tutti Frutti. Have you, how many of you remember those? Little colorful Tootsie Rolls that were flavored. Well, guess who didn't listen? Well, late at night, I decided I wanted more than one. And to make a long story short, I paid for it yearly in multicolored expulsion, if you will. And my mom, without a doubt, knew exactly what happened. She didn't have to ask. She knew. The evidence was there. I think just as those occurrences happen in our lives, we need to be aware of the fact that we as adults, as we get older, we tend to get better at hiding. We, get to, we tend to get better at hiding things from other people to expose us. And as we grow older, what tends to happen is we don't in every way get better or more sanctified. We just tend to be, be able to hide it more. How can I say this? Properly? And sadly, what tends to happen is many of us have things that are going on in our lives, even today, that have not been exposed. There are things that people don't know that are going on in our lives. And many of us, if they were to be exposed, we fear what would happen. As we should. You see, this morning, the message is really, I don't know how else to put it, a warning for all of us. A warning for all of us. I believe that if we take seriously... As Paul says in 1 Corinthians, that these things are written as an example to us, then I think that some people's lives that, that hear this message from God's word will be spared of many hardships, many frustrations. You may have a person who doesn't commit suicide because they weren't exposed. You may have a person who restores that relationship with their family that was lost. You may have a person whose marriage stays together even though it was on the rocks. You see, these warnings in Scripture are there for our admonition. They're there to warn us. And I think a lot of us as believers, we don't take those warnings seriously enough. It will never be me. Believe me, that's what most people think. And sadly, at one point in your life or another, certain things may be exposed. You may be good, and I may be good at hiding it for years... But as time goes on, certain things get revealed. And certain things are very hard to hide. At the end of the day, God knows. 
If no one else does, he does. And as we start this morning, I really want to be an encouragement. I'm hoping that this sermon will potentially save someone's life, will potentially save a family from ruin and a church from destruction. I don't take for granted what God's given me as an as a opportunity to pre- preach his word. In fact, this sermon, probably out of most sermons I've prepared, troubled me a lot because it has a lot for me to stop and think through, what am I doing? What am I doing? Why do I think that certain things in my life God cannot at one time reveal? Why do I think that sometimes the covetousness in my heart does not come out? Why do I think that certain things that I am frustrated with in others' lives will not come out and destroy me and them together? The message today is a warning. And as we jump into the text in Genesis 27, that's where we're going to be in the beginning, I want to uh, give you kind of a little bit of a backdrop. Jacob's parents were Isaac and Rebekah. Isaac is the same Isaac who was the promised seed of Abraham. The one that God said, through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Also the same one that God decided to ask Abraham in testing his faith to bring him as a sacrifice. We know that Abraham believed God and the New Testament reveals it to us that he believed God was true to his word and that he would even resurrect his son if he had slain him. So, Jacob's parents are Isaac and Rebekah. We see this in chapter 25, verse 20. His father was 40 years old when he was married. And his father pleaded with God for Rebekah's sake to have children. They weren't able to have children in the beginning. In fact, if you actually look through the patriarchs, all three of them, this is a new connection I've made just recently. Uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of them and their beloved wives, particularly the ones that were their preferred wives, you know, they were polygamous. Uh, their preferred wives, all three of them were barren for a while. It's, a, it's, an, it's an astonishing fact. Uh, his father pleaded with God for Rebecca to have children, and the pregnancy was a very rough one when God finally uh, broke through and gave them what they would want. The children were struggling and fighting in the womb. We see that in Genesis 25, 22. Before the children are born, though, God declares to Rebekah that two nations are represented in her womb and that the older will serve the younger. The statement is made up front. It's before the children are even out of the womb. And what's interesting is that his mother was not able to have children for 20 years. So there was a huge gap between the marriage and when she was able to have children. His brother was a hunter and loved the outdoors, but Jacob preferred staying more reserved, staying in the tents. Uh, Esau was daddy's favorite. Jacob was mama's favorite. The firstborn back then would receive the birthright as the head of the household, which would be a double portion of the inheritance the parents would leave behind, what was passed down in, in the generations previously. Esau came home hungry one time, and he begs Jacob to give him some of the stew that he just cooked. Jacob tells him right up front, he says, look, just some of your birthright, I'll give you this stew. In response, what's interesting is that it's not, we, we tend to kind of find this text where it's like happenstance, he's hungry, he just makes a quick decision. Jacob actually forces the issue on Esau by telling him to swear to him that he's going to give his birthright up. So you have to understand, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a transaction that occurs that makes sense. This wasn't ultimately deceptive. This was very crystal clear. But Esau was desperate. And so he goes, goes ahead and swears to him that he's going to give him his birthright. Well, many years pass, and Isaac gets much older, anticipating that he will die soon. Uh, By the way, Isaac is 137 years old. Although, here's what's interesting. If you put this together and you've read through the text of Scripture for your Bible reading, you'll see that Isaac actually ends up living another 37 years. I mean, it's it's fascinating. Actually, 43 more years, sorry. 43 more years. Wanting to bless his, his son Esau and gives him the birthright. He wants to give him the birthright still. This is where we're going to pick up on the struggle uh, 
of Jacob with deception. And we're going to look at seven specific things. I promise this isn't going to take a long time. You're thinking seven points. My goodness, Pastor Roman, are we ever going to be done? Yes, we will. Okay? I'm just going to show you. We're not, we're not, going, to, we're not going to take all day. Uh, but here are the seven things we're going to look at. Number one, the enticement. Uh, in Genesis 27, 5 through 10. Uh, number two, the hesitation. In Genesis 27, 11 through 12. Uh, the surrender. Genesis 27, 13 through 14. The follow through. Genesis 27, 18 through 29, the revelation, Genesis 27, 30 through 40, uh, the separation, Genesis 27, 41 to 32, 32, and the restoration, Genesis 30 through 33, 20. In fact, one of the things that I want to point out right off the bat is as we get this story that we've, we've read many times, probably heard many sermons on. Uh, what's fascinating here is that you have to understand that these people were all living together. And it's very, it's very plausible that Abraham knows what's going on as well. So here's what, something that's interesting and I want to point out. There are, there are a lot of things that as we give a background context, you understand as you go through the word, you're going to see connections if you're reading it all the way through. If you and I jump into text, we're going to pull things out out of context. So as we look at the patriarchs, understand that as they grew up as a family, they would literally build on the side. And they would live in close proximity. There was a separation, but not enough of a separation to not see each other, if you will. One of the things that is interesting is when you look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all three of these patriarchs, you will find that each one of them made very similar mistakes and fell into similar sins. As we look this morning, realize that the deception that goes on in Jacob's heart had already gone on in Isaac's life, had already gone on in Abraham's life. You see, you and I teach our children certain things that they then teach their children, that they then teach their children. And not all of them are always good things. Most parents like to think that they are passing always good things down to the next generation. Can I argue that it's much easier to pass terrible things down? It's much easier to pass terrible habits down to the next generation. So as we look at the enticement, I want you to jump in the text with me and look at the fact that you start in verse number 1. It came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim that he could not see. Chapter 27, verse 1. That he called Esau, his older brother, and said to him, My son. And he answered him, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food, such as I love. And bring it to me that I may, may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. So here's what happens. Verse number five, the enticement. Jacob's mother hears this. Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you before his death. I don't know if you realize this, but sometimes the enticement to sin can come from those that are closest to you and me. Jacob's mother was the instrument used to steer Jacob to deceive his father. In fact, the closest people around us may offer to help in our greatest disaster. You think your advice does not matter, parents, to your children? Definitely does. I tremble at the advice I've offered people sometimes. Especially when I realized it was terrible advice. You see, those closest to us, we tend to pay attention to what they say. And parents, your children are watching you. They're asking you questions because they think you have the answer. Oh, many of us have the answer, but is it the answer? 
You see, the trouble with most of us when we live our Christian life is we live a lot of those things out of our experiences and tell our children, because I did it this way, you should do it as well. And sometimes those things that we did were not biblical. Did God promise that the older would serve the younger? Did he make that statement before they were born? Why is Rebecca helping him out? I mean, I ask myself the question all the time, wasn't there a better way to do this as you read through the story? Wasn't there a better way to do this? Be careful who you get advice from. Because sometimes advice sounds like it would be a help to you only to destroy you once the task itself is completed. Jacob was deceived himself before he ever deceived his father. We will excuse our own heart at the expense of telling someone else a lie. Most of us, when we are deceptive, we have to deceive ourselves first into thinking it's right to do. You see, Neil Anderson says this. He says, the essence of temptation is the invitation to live independently of God. So we look at the enticement. Number two, the hesitation. Jacob doesn't do it right away. Look at what verse number 11 and 12 says. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to him to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Almost always, almost always, there's a hesitation before we sin. Particularly if we know that it's wrong. Most of us do not give in on the first proposal of sin. We hesitate. In fact, two things happen here with Jacob. There's a realization of the circumstance. Notice what he says. He goes, wait, wait a second. Mom, um, my brother's hairy. I'm not. How's this going to work? Dad's going to figure this out right away. My brother's got more hair in his chest than I do. This ain't going to go well. And the second thing he realizes is that there's a potential that this could backfire. What does he say? He says in verse 12, Perhaps my father will feel me, and it shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Wow. There's a potential, Mom, that this could backfire. Let me tell you, folks, Jacob was not oblivious to what was going on. He knew full well what might go down if this didn't go well. Just to give you a heads up, you're usually not oblivious either when you sin. In fact, most of us do not fall into sin. We jump in headfirst after a slight hesitation. We're like that kid at the pool that doesn't want to jump in. And then we're finally like, oh shoot, forget it. That's how we are with sin. We hesitate. Yeah, let's go. Let's go. There's a hesitation. But then, there's a surrender. Look at verse 13, 14. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go get them for me. And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. It's almost as if the potential horrible consequence his mother claims she will take on herself. And you don't worry about it, son. I'll take care of it. If anything goes wrong, I'll take the hit. Don't worry. I'll take the hit if it goes bad. Is the essence of the reassurance that Rebecca gives to her son Jacob. What Jacob does not understand is how clearly he's missing the fact that he's going to dearly pay for this himself. It all starts with the first act. Jacob goes ahead and brings the animals to his mother for the meal. 
to bring to his father. So here's a question, and I want to be clear. This is not comfortable to ask, but I'm going to ask this this morning. Fathers and mothers, are there ways that we have potentially set up our children to sin? I don't care if you're still raising your children, you've already raised them. Applies to either one. Are there any potential ways that you have set up your children to sin? Are there things that we are encouraging them to do that may very well lead to their own destruction? Just by the way, mom, dad, you will not ultimately pay the consequence for their sin. They will. But you could very well be the instrument that leads them into that sin that they're going to dearly pay for. It gets to a point where sometimes parents don't even realize they're they're sending their children into the abyss. I want you to understand why you and I need to take discipleship seriously. Because without it, we will excuse all kinds of sin that we tolerate in our homes. You see, fathers, your boys, the way they view women, is going to be determined on how you view women. You treat them as an object, guess what your child's going to think? Oh, I know. I'm preaching now. The reality is these are serious things that the church has to repent of. Men, it makes a difference what we present to our children when it comes to our boys. How do you treat your wife, men? How do you treat other women, men? Are you faithful to your spouse? Is she your one and only? Don't think your boys won't pick up on you checking out other people. Don't you dare think that that's not going to happen. The reality is, all those things that we teach our children give them the potential to fall into sin and a major danger later on in life. And we parents step back and wonder, why did they go off so far? Why are we shocked? Why are we shocked, men, when we're not in the Word and wondering why our kids are living in sin? Why? Why is this such a surprise? Oh my goodness, my son's having a problem in his marriage. Guess what? A lot of it he learned from you. Especially if you're a believer and disciple of Jesus Christ. That's your responsibility to disciple your son. Ladies, the way you show your boys or your daughters how you treat your husband and other men plays a role as they get older. Do your children honor those in authority? Or do they have this attitude, no one's going to tell me what to do because mom thinks the same thing. This is hard. It's heartbreaking because you know what? Here's the devastating consequences. There are people we know whose children die early in this life because mom and dad didn't pay attention years earlier. And we're shocked that we're going to funerals for 20-year-olds who have been overdosing on drugs. Parents, you think it's small? It's not. You're playing with your children's soul. Rebecca thought she was doing something good here. I'm going to help my son out. It's the most devastating thing she could have done for him. He was going to pay dearly for this. But it looks so innocent. There's going to be a blessing attached. It's absolutely heartbreaking for me to see parents hurting over their children years later when they had years that God gave them that they now regret. I don't look down at parents like that. I'm raising my own boys. Like God knows I've got a lot to deal with and I want to make sure I'm doing what's right as a parent. Don't take this like I'm coming after you. I'm just telling you folks, this is so serious. This is not something small. 
I think of the times that I've ruined, ruined great moments with my kids because I got ticked off and frustrated because something came up that moment. You ever have that happen? You're having a great time with the kids and all of a sudden you get that call from who knows who it is, but you really don't want to deal with it and then you take the call and you regret that you took the call. It just ruined your mood completely. And then all of a sudden the children are looking at dad, man, he's off. Dad doesn't want to have fun anymore. Discipleship matters, church. And if you are not discipling someone else, you yourself need to be discipled. Number four, the follow-through. What you see here in these verses, 18 through 29, is that Jacob follows through. He goes to his father and says, my father, and he says, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game, that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he left him and said, he felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. Then he said, so, excuse me, are you really my son Esau? He said, I am. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate. And he brought him wine and he drank. And his father Isaac said to him, come near him now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and, and kissed him. And he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, my God, may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let all the people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren, and let your mother's son bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be those who bless you. It starts with the first act, but there's always a follow-through. In fact, what you have here is something very sinister. You have Jacob invoking God's name as the reason to why he's doing what he's doing. As the reason for the successful deception of his father, he tells his dad, God sent it quickly. If we're not careful, we will excuse sin by abusing God's grace and chalking it up to his sovereign grace and his sovereign decree. Do not excuse sin by saying it's God. Don't you dare do it. You really do not want to hear the consequences for that one. We are never to take God's name in vain, but especially not in crediting Him for our sin. You sinned, it's your fault. Couldn't help myself is not valid. Especially if you know your Bible. There's always a way of escape. God promises that. You sinned, it's your fault. Don't bring up God as a, as a cause hoping for a better outcome. Number five, the revelation. Chapter 27, verse 30 through 40. Guess what happens as soon as he leaves dad? Now what happened? As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob and Jacob had scarcely gone out, he just left from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? So he said, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who? Where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came, and I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me also, my father. But he said, Your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. 
And Esau said, It is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made your ma- him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth, all the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. And it shall come to pass, when you become restless, that you shall break his yoke from your neck. At some point, there's a moment of revelation. When the very thing that is hidden is exposed. This doesn't mean that many of us don't still think there may be a win in the process. Sin wouldn't be so enticing if there wasn't a temporary win at least, right? Like if I just do this one thing, I get this benefit right now. If I don't tell the truth here, I'll avoid this big long conversation I'll have to have with my spouse. If I just don't tell my children all the things that I wanted to communicate to them, maybe they'll think of me as a better person when I was growing up. Parents, sometimes it's a good thing to tell your children where you screwed up. There's a lot of parents living in ivory towers telling their children to live a certain way that they used to live. And their children don't see you as someone that's a sinner, that's hurt as well, that's done the same things they've done. And we come down on them with this harshness that we ourselves didn't experience. I do want to stop here and consider a couple things about the revelation of sin. Here's a question I want to ask. What if we confessed and owned sin before God and others before we were exposed? What if we confessed and owned our sin before God and others before we were exposed? What would we potentially save? I have a couple things that came to mind. Our reputation. you imagine how much better it would be for us to own sin and own it to somebody that we can keep ourselves accountable to? where we don't have to have the public humiliation that exposure to certain sins would cause? What about our career? I believe some people would save their own career if they owned what they did wrong. Our ministry. There's one for Pastor Roman. You mean, if I hold myself accountable to certain people... And they hold me accountable to make sure that I walk right with God and I confess sin and I get restored in a certain area that really is a struggle, that that's actually a good thing? Yeah. What about our family? What do you think would happen if our families were honest enough to deal with the sin inside? What do you think our families would be like in this church if mom and dad knew what was going on? And they were honest enough to admit sin. And their children knew that mom and dad loved each other to the point where they would be willing to own sin instead of hiding it. Your children don't need to know everything, parents. I'm not saying that. What they do need to know is that you're a person that asks for forgiveness and repents. That you're not yelling at your spouse like you did years ago. That you're not constantly being deceptive to other people and telling them one thing but you're different at home. The biggest difference that we make as a church is what goes on in our home. Here, man, it's great. We all love God. Aren't we wonderful? You alone can rescue. I amen to that, that song. Do you realize that God brought you out of death? Then why aren't you living that way? Why are you going back to the death state? What about our church? 
I want you to understand that I don't take lightly where we are going as a church. And I know a lot of this is going to be painful for some of us here. Because a lot of us, we've kind of never, ever, ever bring these things up. Everybody else has these problems. We don't. Uh, no, you do. And I do. And we need to own them. And we need to, we need to confess and repent, meaning change our mind about that sin. Because here's the problem. Most of us are too self-deceived to realize we have certain sins. We think everybody else has them. Men think that everybody else struggles with certain things. Or ladies think that all other ladies struggle with certain things. We all struggle. And the question is, what are you going to do about it? And there are two extremes of responses to sin that you see common in the church. One is, ignore it entirely. I didn't hear anything. I don't know what you're talking about. That's one. The other extreme, yeah, yeah, I know I need to stop doing it. You still do it. Yeah, yeah, I should be a better husband. Yeah, I should be a better father. Then get up and do something. What's our problem then? Stop whining to your wife about how you need to be a better husband. Man up and own it and do it. Stand up for your family. Your wife shouldn't be the spiritual leader in your home. You are to be. And stop looking at every other man where they're failing and realize where you're failing. There's plenty to look at there. We're too quick, too quick to blame everyone else. It's because my parents didn't hug me when I was a child. Look, you're an adult now, okay? Certain things do affect you, but it's time to move on and man up, men. As Paul says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. This is why discipleship is so key. So many are waiting for extra revelation from God, but not living holy before God. Think of those closest to you and how they are affected. There's a reason why Abraham lied about his wife Sarah. Isaac lied about Rebekah. Don't be surprised, Ben, if your boys are copying you. Don't get angry at them, especially if you were the same way. Repent. Go back and own it. Or is that too, too humiliating for us? We're such men in every other area but repentance. You see, sin affects the church and its growth. And I'm going to argue this right now, and if anybody disagrees, please come talk to me after the service. I have no problem. I really would like to know if I'm wrong. I believe the reason the church does not grow is because there's sin in the church that has not been eradicated. Church, I think there are certain sins in our church that have not been dealt with for years. And we're too busy waiting for God to, to expand the body without dealing with the real problem inside. A tree that's poisoned can't grow. The greatest miracle is a changed life. And sadly, that's what many of us are not living. Think of what our church could be if we worked to fight against sin together. Imagine what the church as an army could do for the kingdom if they all said, I've got your back. I know you failed. Let's get back up. Let's go. Come on. Don't worry about it. Let's go. A just man falls seven times. He's going to fall. We're not arguing you're not going to fall. I'm not arguing that you're not going to fall. But I'm saying get back up. Fight. What are you quitting so early for? You see, if, if most of us would get it out of our heads that when we got saved, we got heaven to look forward to and we're thinking 40, 50 years down the road, God wants you to live out today. If he wanted us to be conformed to Jesus, he'd take us up right away. It's a process, folks. And too many of us don't want to go on that journey because it's painful. Hey, guess what? Israel went through 40 years of wandering through the wilderness. In a really ridiculous pattern, if you watch it. But you know what? That was the lesson they needed to learn. And that lesson is written down for us for an example. So we pay attention. 
so we don't get all cocky and think we wouldn't do the same thing. I argue we are doing the same things. And if we don't get these things right, we're never going to have traction moving forward. Sin affects so many today that by secretly hiding away sin, hoping no one finds out, it'll be harder to control as the time goes on. But that one day when it's revealed, what a devastating effect that could be. Think of what our church could be if we worked together to fight sin. Not everyone should know your weaknesses, but there are people you should be, help, should be available to hold you accountable. In case you think Pastor Roman's off on a crazy tangent, I want to give you the words of Paul from the Amplified Version, which I think really expounds this point well. We read it earlier in the New King James. I'm just going to read the Amplified Version. It says, For I do not want you to be unaware, believers, that our fathers were all under the cloud in which God's presence went before them. And they all passed miraculously and safely through the Red Sea. And all of them were baptized into Moses, into his safekeeping as their leader, in the cloud and in the sea. And all of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual drink. For they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not well pleased with most of them, for they scattered along the ground in the wilderness, because their lack of self-control led to disobedience, which led to death. Now these things, the warnings and admonitions, took place as examples for us, so that we would not crave the evil things as they did. Do not be worshippers of handmade gods as some of them were, just as it is written in Scripture. The people sat down to eat and drink after sacrificing to the golden calf at Horeb and stood up to play, indulging in immoral activities. We must not indulge in or tolerate sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell, suddenly fell dead in a single day. We must not tempt the Lord, that is, test his patience, question his purpose, or exploit his goodness as some of them did. And they were killed by serpents. And do not murmur in unwarranted discontent, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example and warning to us. They were written for our instruction to admonish and equip us upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let the one who thinks he stands firm, immune to temptation, being overconfident and self-righteous, take care that he does not fall into sin and condemnation. No temptation, regardless of its source has overtaken or enticed you that is not common to human experience, nor is in any temptation unusual or beyond human resistance. But God is faithful to His Word. He is compassionate and trustworthy, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist. But along with the temptation, He has in the past and is now and will always provide the way out as well, so that you will be able to endure it without yielding and will overcome temptation with joy. Therefore, my beloved, run... Keep far, far away from any sort of idolatry, and that includes loving anything more than God or participating in anything that leads to sin and enslaves the soul. Sometimes certain versions just, they really get to the point. Church, this is not just a warning from me. This is a warning from God. I'm terrified sometimes with some of the sermons I preach. Because I go play them back later and I go, goodness. That's something that I need to pay attention to myself. Number six. The separation. Back in chapter 27, we're not going to read through all of this. But what ends up happening is that Jacob has a separation that happens. In fact, it starts off with him... Having to take, take off. He has to run away. And sadly, what most people don't realize is the hardest part in this whole process when we sin and things are exposed is there's a separation that happens. There are a few different ways that this happened. There's a separation from his family that we see. Jacob did not see his father or brother for many years and... It's interesting to note, his mother's not mentioned later on when he comes back. So the very person that led him into this mess, he no longer gets to see again. Number two, there's a separation from comfort. In fact, Jacob 
has to run home and his comforts are gone. He ends up sleeping on a rock. How would you like that? They didn't have my pillow back then. He had a rock for his pillow. So he had a separation from comfort. Here's a devastating one. It's interesting explaining this to your children when you're reading through this. There's a separation from truth. Jacob thought he was going to marry Rachel after working for seven years only to get her sister. Explain that one to your boys. Sorry. Here's what happened. What? Yeah. Jacob, the one who deceived, was deceived. And then he had to work another seven years as well. Think about this, practically speaking, twice the work necessary. Imagine you're working really hard at something, and you've got this end goal in mind, and all of a sudden, all those things you work for are taken away, you've got to do it all over again. That's what Jacob had to go through. And we think sin won't cost us. When the sin against others revealed, it will be much harder for us to regain what was lost. Think of this practically. Adam and Eve lost glory. It will take a lot longer for us to regain trust if we've broken it without coming clean ourselves. It is not enough for us to own that we've sinned. It's enough for us to go back and repent and actually do different things by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're not going to self-propel yourself to repentance. That's something that comes from God Himself. That's one of the reasons why a lot of people can cry their tears, they feel bad about something, but the end result is not a changed life. Because a lot of things that we've done in our culture is emotionalism. It's a reaction in our emotion without an act of the will. Because the act of the will needs to be changed because a heart needs to be changed. There are many people that cry tears when they've done something wrong. That does not equal repentance. Changed life, which started with a changed mind, is repentance. We can choose our sin, but we can't choose our consequences. In fact, they're never up to us to decide. And for some, it's a much longer road to endure than they expected. As Adrian Rogers says, sin is not just breaking God's laws, it is breaking his heart. So the last thing, the restoration After years of being away from his family and being deceived by his uncle Laban, Jacob is restored bit by bit, little by little. He has a new family that God provides for him. Years of turmoil and Rachel not able to have children. Later on she does. He has financial stability. In fact, Laban constantly tries to deceive him. God still works in spite of that and blesses Jacob. Jacob is blessed because God promised his father and his grandfather. Not because Jacob was a wonderful man. Election doesn't work the way we like it to sometimes. It just didn't seem fair that Jacob even got these blessings. Because it's not. He has a name change. Change from Jacob, heel catcher, supplanter, deceiver, to Israel. One who struggles with God. Fascinating, fascinating part of the reading. When Jacob wrestles with God for the morning. And then the last thing I want to take a look at, and we'll we'll finish up this morning, is his relationships restored. Go to Genesis 33. And I have to tell you, when I read certain things, I just put myself in the author's shoes and I just picture the situation. And this story is one I've read multiple times. And each time when I read it in context and I've read everything up to it, it just pulls me in. Look at what happens. Jacob lifts up his eyes and looked, and there Esau was coming. By the way, it wasn't originally planned to be a nice family reunion. In case you read the text earlier, you know that that wasn't what he was assuming. Okay? He's scared. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants, and he put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children behind, and Rachel and Joseph last. Then he crossed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. 
And this is the part of the, man, I tell you, it moves me every time I read this. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And he lifted his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are these with you? And he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Just read the rest of the, t- the chapter. It's amazing, the restoration of relationship. Church, be careful that you don't just continually hide sin. There's so many devastating consequences to that. Jacob was written as an example to us. Could you imagine if God wrote your story like this? I told my wife last night, no thank you. No thank you. I don't want everybody knowing. So in conclusion, is there any sin you are hiding you need help with? Is there any sin you are hiding you need help with? You see, God has always been about restoring people. He sent Jesus Christ to restore a severed relationship with Him. He gave us His Word and the Holy Spirit to restore our fellowship with Him. And He also gave us others in the body of Christ to restore us when we fall, as Galatians 6 says. Jesus Christ came to give us life and to give us life that's abundant. Why are we living hiding sin? There's so many greater things in store for us if we just took God seriously and said, yeah, that example of Jacob... That you pay attention to. Don't assume that you're going to get away with it forever. The warning is here today. And I promise you, if you and I own it right now, it'll be much better than the potential devastating consequences later when it's exposed the way we wouldn't want it to be exposed. As we go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to consider all the things that you see in Jacob's life and realize that each and every one of us are on our own journey with God. And some of the things that Jacob experienced, you would not want to go through if your sin was exposed as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for each and every person in this church. Father, we ask that as we finish the service this morning that you would graciously remind us that we don't deserve grace. We can't earn it. But we sure can't and shouldn't hide our sin. We should be willing to bring it under grace and to be willing to be held accountable, Lord. We know that we have a lot of weaknesses uh, that we so readily hide from others. But, Father, you know. You know each and every one of us more than we even know ourselves. We ask that you would remove the self-deception. And we ask that you would cleanse our church. We ask this in Jesus' name.